Good morning. If you haven't figured out already, I'm not Omar. And uh, basically, Omar uh, had asked me a few weeks ago, knowing that he wasn't going to be here, and he kind of asked me, can you preach? And usually, we would have continued on with Acts. Um, at first, I go, okay, we'll just continue on with Acts. And then kind of a theme came up, and I kind of want to give you a context of why this theme came up. But our theme and our kind of the title of the sermon today is Loving Our Neighbor and Our Neighborhood. And the reason that this came up for me, there's a lot of reasons that we're doing a lot of stuff within our own neighborhood, but I am part of a team uh, at, the, at Vanguard University in Costa Mesa uh, that's called the Institute for Faculty Development. And every year we welcome the faculty in, and especially this year we welcome the faculty in uh, in, in a way to try to make sure they felt connected to community because they felt disconnected over the last uh, year and a half, especially because of the pandemic. And we thought, we want you to realize that you're part of a community, that, you're, that the faculty is part of uh, a neighborhood. And then the theme for that was welcome to the neighborhood, like welcome back to this neighborhood that you're part of. So we have a neighborhood that they're part of just within the faculty themselves. And then faculty and staff and the students is kind of a bigger circle of community. And then the community outside of Vanguard around Costa Mesa is also part of a community. So what I wanted to do today is kind of get us to realize that as well. We're part of a community here within this particular church building. We're part of a community in East Village. Some of us, the majority of us, don't live in East Village. There's some that live uh, in East Village. And then we have neighborhoods all over San Diego that we live in, and we're part of an expanded community, and kind of wanted to go through um, some scripture and some challenges of how we can actually live out our faith within our neighborhoods. And before we get started, I want to go ahead and I'm going to read uh, the scripture for today that comes out of Jeremiah 20, 4 through 7 and 11. Let's read this. I'll read this and then I'll pray and then we'll go ahead and get started in the sermon. This is what the Lord of heaven's army, God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle, dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for your word. Thank you for this community that we have. We ask through your spirit uh, that you impress upon our hearts how we are to love our neighbor and our neighborhood. Give us ways to do that in tangible ways. Give us ideas. Help us to share with one another what those are. Help us to connect outside of these walls uh, during the week so we can grow closer to each other and grow closer to you. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So off of this particular scripture, um, we have something that may be familiar with uh, to you. Hopefully it's familiar to you. So if I was to say renewed city through renewed people to the glory of God, what is that? It's our mission and vision for Harbor. <laughs> so 
And it's coming out of scriptures like this Jeremiah passage, talking about how we are to pray for the city because its welfare is all our welfare. So what we see here in the scripture in Jeremiah is the, the Israelites, the Jews at that time, are actually in exile, but God is still saying, even if you're in exile, I want you to thrive, I want you to grow, and I want you to know that the plans that I have for you is to prosper you. A lot of times that, that last verse 11 is something we put on our refrigerator, or we have like a cross stitch on the wall or something like that, and we think of this as an individual thing that God has plans for me. He does, to glorify him to love other people, but he also wants, as a group, he's, God is speaking to us as a group of people that he wants to prosper us as a community, and we're not supposed to do this on our own. And our, uh, our vision and mission statement goes on to say, to make disciples who experience Jesus in every part of their lives and share Jesus in every part of the city. And I think this is key, and I think we do this very well, but there's some challenges that we hit and a lot of other churches have hit as we try to love the city. What does that actually mean? This, where it kind of comes to this book and a person that I wanna introduce you to if you're not familiar is uh, a man named Jonathan Brooks. He is a pastor uh, in South Side of Chicago. Um, and we met him at a conference a couple years back uh, where he spoke and he spoke about uh, his ministry uh, that kind of started with him being him growing up in the south side of Chicago and him deciding, I want to get out of here. I want to go somewhere else. But he like left and then God called him back to his own neighborhood to be able to uh, love and uh, minister to the people within his own neighborhood. And the book that he wrote is called Church Forsaken. And the kind of subtitle is Practicing Presence in Neglected Neighborhoods. And he comes back and he's trying to figure out how do I love my neighbors well within this particular uh, neighborhood. And the book is called Church Forsaken because a lot of times we've heard things referred to as like this God forsaken place or this God forsaken neighborhood. In this case, he believes in, in, in his book and he kind of goes through some church forsaken practices. He doesn't believe God has forsaken them. He believes that the church has forsaken these neighborhoods. And I've used his points in his book. Um, what's really funny is okay, AJ uh, uh, in the back, has, as he saw my slides, he's all, this looks like a school presentation. I have like 40 slides and it's very daunting in comparison to last week's no slides whatsoever. I guarantee it's not going to be a boring lecture. At least I hope. If it is, smile and pretend that this is really exciting. But I want to use his points and his practices to go through the points of the sermon today. And the first practice is this. We, as a church overall, not necessarily Harbor City, but it could be, we have forsaken our God-given position and fled or set ourselves up as fortresses in our communities. This is Jonathan's first practice it comes to this, uh, are you guys familiar with this slide? It says, if you build it, they will come. It's a, so it's field of dreams. And you're not gonna, if you ask me questions about baseball, I can't go very far. Because I was in Little League and I think I made it a couple different teams and I was barely making it because I was afraid of the ball. And just, and 
they're actually hitting me in the face in the outfield, and they just put me in the farthest outfield because I was bad at this. But I know that this is Field of Dreams, and I know that churches especially have this mentality, if I just build a building usually, and I just wait, like I want people to come to this building. And I know this is a misquote for those people that know uh, Field of Dreams. It's, if you build it, he will come, is what it actually says in the movie. But for some reason in my mind, you ought, this saying actually always comes up. So churches in general always, in a lot of, in a lot of areas, think, I just want them to come to my church. That's the, that's the way of actually ministering and loving neighbor. And we actually also do this within our neighborhoods. And this slide is a picture of some suburbs uh, that probably do not exist in San Diego, but this is a picture of suburbs with a bunch of garages. In my mind, when I was preparing this, I saw just cars pulling up, going in their garages and shutting their garages off. And then the next person going in and shutting their garage off and you kind of go in, getting into the air conditioning, watching television, escaping, and not knowing any of your neighbors. So that's what has happened in the majority of neighborhoods I've been part of up until the last couple of neighborhoods that we've been part of, which was kind of very, it was very surprising to me because I, a lot of times I'm coming home from work and I just want to escape and go watch television or uh, sit and relax. So are there, there are some valid excuses that we have for disengaging from our neighborhood and our neighbors that include busyness, family obligations. I'm like some of the stuff I mentioned, I'm tired. I can't say this of myself, but maybe some of you can. You're an introvert, so therefore, like, people tire you out. You have overwhelming challenges and stresses and anxieties of your own. We all do. But then it comes into these, all of these things added up could become, you could, you could become apathetic. You can become lazy. You can get in a rut. You can d- decide, I think I'm just going to come home and I want to disconnect and I, I don't want to. I know that I have done this where you see certain neighbors and you're just like, I gotta get in before I talk to that neighbor. So that can happen for really good reasons, but it can happen for some reasons that kind of draw us away from our purpose that God has given us with our neighbors and in our neighborhood. That brings us to practice number two. We have strayed far away from God's original process of transformation, which hinges on us being with one another. So it's going to be difficult if we go inside of our houses and God is going to try to transform people's lives through us and our neighborhoods if we're locked away in our air conditioning in our houses. This passage in John 1.14, we've heard it a lot, but I want to kind of restate it. And I have a couple passages that I've used the message because I think this is such an amazing thing. And I saw this being used in Jonathan's book, Church Forsaken. The message, John 1, 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Like for me, I take it as a call when I see my Savior it actually deciding as God I'm going to move into the neighborhood in, in real life and do the things that the neighbors do and love his neighbors. And I see that as a call to myself to go and to actually move into my neighborhood and invest in my neighborhood. So 
Transformation happens through individually. So individually at first, God changes our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit, converts us, changes us from the inside out. But it also, if it stays there, it's, it's kind of explained in the Bible as a kind of a dead faith. If it's only like transformed here and it doesn't affect anything that I'm doing or saying, that's a problem. But it, in, a, in a real transformation of heart, it leads to a collective transformation a transformation within the community. If you're among your community, among your neighbors in your neighborhood, that transformation is gonna affect other people as you change your actions and as God changes your heart. And that happens as we live alongside one another at our church and within our neighborhoods and our workplaces, anytime we're around people. So that in, in uh, Jonathan Brooks' book, it kind of points out that this transformation is something that needs to happen within a community. And it brings us to practice number three. We have forsaken God's original plan to care about the whole person by caring primarily for the soul. So we're familiar with the, we'll, we are familiar with the Great Commission, which is an amazing call for us to go out into the world and to make disciples. I'll read it here, and this is in the NIV. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And there are many churches, some of you guys have been part of these churches, that is a very, very heavy emphasis on evangelism. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna, this is our commission as believers in Christ. But I think there is something missing with that, especially how we believe how big the gospel is. It's not just about personal conversion or personal transformation. It's also about something else. So I've done, a, uh, over the last few months, I've been doing a lot of reading, uh, too much reading, like I'm in six or seven books at a time and can't remember what particular book I'm in, listening to podcasts and things like that. So I'm trying to figure out where are these quotes coming from that I write down and I had to go back and search this particular quote stood out to me. It's from Anthony Bradley. He's a professor at King's College in New York. He says, I call this big gospel from a big God. The good news of God's saving work in Christ and the spirit by which the powers of sin, death, and judgment are overcome. And the life of the new creation is inaugurated, moving towards the glorification of the whole cosmos. This idea of cosmic transformation, it's not just heart transformation, but God wants to transform the world, not just in this conversion, in the believing of Jesus as our Savior, but literally transform, renew our neighborhoods. And the only way we can do that is to be with proximity to our neighbors and to be able to love our neighbors uh, in tangible ways. We come to practice number four. We have forsaken God's directive to care for every place by disinvesting and neglecting certain neighborhoods. Sometimes we neglect our neighborhoods 
but like we neglect our own neighborhoods by going into our garages and escaping, but also sometimes we try to avoid other neighborhoods altogether. So we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit about our specific neighborhood, but there's neighborhoods around my neighborhood that I don't spend much time in. And I don't think I'm in my mind go, I don't want to spend any time and I, and I don't want to focus on that, but I think I'm just oblivious to what's going on in these other neighborhoods except for mine. And that leads us to actually neglect some neighborhoods altogether. I, I have mine, I have my couple streets and the people that I love and the people that are around there, but I neglect those things that are outside of uh, that particular area. And I know you guys have experienced uh, this as well. A quote that really stood out to me from Jonathan Brooks' book is this. Am I just supposed to pray, sit back, and wait for transformation to happen to my community and in my neighbors? I began to hear God inviting me and his entire church into the mysterious work of transformation and reconciliation. So he's actually investing in such ways. If you have a chance to check out this book, I would very highly recommend it, but also follow him on social media and see what he's doing within the community. There's some excellent ways that he's actually digging in and having get-togethers and parties and food pantries and making sure that people feel connected during this time in pandemic. Um, but a lot of times we, we neglect certain neighborhoods for some reasons, just because we drive through and we get home, but for other times we have in our mind, I don't want to go in this particular neighborhood. And practice five and six, I kind of combine. We have forsaken God's people by abandoning relationships, stereotyping, and jumping to false conclusions about one another. And we have forsaken the original perspective of the church which sees the fullness of humanity and reflection of divinity in every person and place. And I know myself, I'll call myself out on this, I fall into this particular practice quite a bit. When I'm seeing certain people on social media, and we'll kind of talk through that, or in my community or in my neighbors that disagree with me on certain topics. I have stereotype people into believing all people that believe this are, is, are this. And I know that a lot of us have fallen to that same thing. So we have made our neighbors out, and I have, to be our enemy. We've desired revenge rather than mercy, and we have dehumanized and demonized those who are different than us rather than humanizing and lifting up our neighbors. And we're thinking, oh, God, I don't do that. Like, if, if you are anything like me, I'm doing that all the time in my mind I'm, because that makes it easier for me to think, oh, that person thinks differently than me. I'm right. They're wrong. They're less human. I don't have to think about them, me, that they could potentially be right. So, and I know especially in the last two or three years, this has happened huge. And it's happened in different categories. So the reasons that we have made our neighbor our enemy include political party, race or ethnicity, language, culture. I'm going to add immigration status in there. Socioeconomic class. Sexuality is different than ours. Gender is different than ours. Gender identity is different than ours. Faith is different. Church affiliation 
or vaccination status? Does it, does it hit, hit anybody? Like this is what's dividing some of us here when we need to be unified in Christ. And sometimes even though I think I'm right on these things, I dehumanize the other person to think, okay, they're less than, they're ignorant. I've seen on social media and I've thought in my own mind name-calling about political parties, name-calling about uh, immigration status, name-calling about vaccination status, those kind of, just because a person is different doesn't make them less created in the image of God. And I catch myself on social media, and I confess this every single week in our life group, I'll be going down on social media and I'll see something that I disagree with, and in my mind, I'm dehumanizing that person and thinking this person's an idiot for believing whatever this thing is, Right? And getting angry, and then I'll scroll down. I keep on scrolling on social media, and I go, I need to scroll back. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I need to, I need to love this person. This person is created in the image of God. Even just because they believe something different than me doesn't mean that they're any less loved by God. And you may fall in the same category, and some of these things may be more of a sticking point, more of a problem for you than others. Everyone is created in God's image. I saw this in some of my reading of my six, eight books or whatever I'm reading right now, from Jamar Tisby. He's a historian, an author, and a speaker. Also, all these people that I'm quoting, I would highly recommend if you want to do some reading. There's some excellent uh, work uh, in these books from these authors. He says, speaking about people being created in God's image, being made in the image and likeness of God means that human beings hold certain similarities with God. It means that we all bear in a limited way Characteristics of God's image, qualities such as morality, personality, rationality, spirituality that make us distinct from the rest of God's creation. We can reason and think. We have emotions and compassion. We can make moral choices and have stewardship over the earth. Some of God's attributes, such as God's omniscience, omnipotence, do not extend to human beings. We definitely know that. But God has crowned human beings with glory and honor as God's image bearers. All people have innate dignity and worth. So I need to remember this truth as I'm scrolling through Facebook, as I'm meeting up with people and friends and neighbors and coworkers that believe something different than me. I need to figure out how I can take my transformed heart that hopefully is being transformed daily and love people wherever they're at and not say you must change to where I'm at and come to where I'm at so that I can love you. There's a person that we follow on Instagram, we've followed for, for a few years, his name is Carlos Whitaker, and he makes this statement, don't stand on issues, walk with people. A lot of times we just like take a hard stance and go, I believe this and everybody has to come to me, I'm not gonna listen to anyone else, even if we like really believe it's something integral to our faith. But that causes us to kind of go over to the issue and forget the humanity of the person. If we walk with people, if we, if we build relationships with people, we're gonna start to understand things in a new way so that we can love them and not just stand on the issue and say, this is the right way of doing things as opposed to listening and loving people after we hear what they have to say and experiencing life with them. And finally, we come to, the, to practice number seven. We have forsaken the original purpose for the church, which is to be transformative, representatives in the world by loving God and loving people. 
We're familiar with this passage in Mark that says, love God and love your neighbor. But I want to read it again. This is in the New Living Translation. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So I always go back to that. And if I'm thinking all these doctrinal things, all these beliefs that I have, if I just center myself on, I need to love God and I need to love my neighbor. And I'm loving God by loving my neighbor. It helps me to go, okay, this is what I need to do. And if I'm doing things to stand on these beliefs that I have that don't love my neighbor and dehumanize people, then I know I'm not doing what God is calling me to do. So how do we fight against these church, church forsaken practices? How do we do this in a real intangible way? And what I'm about to kind of talk through is not, you need to go out and do exactly what we do in our particular neighborhood. It's just an idea. This is what we, what we try in our particular neighborhood. So in our neighborhood, our neighborhood is called El Cerrito. If you're familiar with where El Cerrito is, if you're not, if, if you're not familiar, it's kind of City Heights on one side, Rolando, College area, Oak Park, Redwood. It's kind of between uh, Elkhorn Boulevard and University. And we had no idea where this neighborhood was up until eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, when we were driving through that particular neighborhood to find uh, a place to rent. So this picture uh, of us that will come up is of Gracie and I with our El Cerrito shirts on and our El Cerrito hats on that we had made up because we're proud of our neighborhood. And we thought, we'll get some artists from the neighborhood to draw up these shirts and we're gonna have coloring parties to actually color the t-shirts. And we try to have different t-shirts every single year and we're coloring. That was a huge thing to bring us together as we came into the neighborhood. And we made hats and kind of, we colored the letters and stuff in our hats together because we think our neighborhood is unique. And one of the reasons that we think that it's unique is kind of started as we're just driving into our neighborhood to figure out if there's some place to rent. We've been driving all over San Diego to try to find, we were living in South Park, right behind Station Tavern, if you're familiar with where that's at. And we're getting priced out of the area in a small bungalow that if I sat down on the couch and put my legs straight out, I'll hit the wall. Small little place we can take three or four people and connect in a circle around these little bungalows that are in South Park. We thought we need to get something bigger. We drove all day and then we landed in this neighborhood near one of my friends that lives a few blocks away. And I, I don't even know what this is. Let's drive. We drove up and we, we uh, saw this street called Overlook. And we're just like, what in the world is this thing over? Like, I don't what could it possibly overlook? So we're driving through the neighborhood and we see this for rent sign in front of this house. And we go, oh, that's a, this is interesting. We copy down the phone number. We look over the fence. We look over the side, and it's a big, huge uh, view of all of East County. Uh, we're just like, okay, we'll take this place. So we call the guy up. We'll take it. 
He's like, well, that's not the way it works. You need to actually apply for this place. Okay, we applied. We got this place. This is amazing. So we're moving in, and we see people walking down the sidewalk with casserole dishes in their hands. We're just like, okay, what is going on? Like, like both sides of the street, casserole dishes just walking towards something. And we're just like, okay, should we follow? We're like, oh, no, we're, we're moving today, but we'll try to figure out what this thing is. And what that thing was is, is, is a happy hour that the neighborhood had been, had been putting on where they invite people to bring casseroles and, and uh, kind of potluck things to a different person's house in the neighborhood. While we entered that neighborhood, we met a family that are our best friends, not only just in our neighborhood, but the best friends in general, called, their name is the Perrys. So we have Kelly and Cameron, you see Nash and Nora and Gracie there doing the pumpkin carving. And Gracie had actually known them from years before from a previous church, but it's like, hey, we just happened to land in this particular neighborhood where we already know people, and there's people walking by with casserole dishes. This is exciting. We know people, we have food. And then we see this El Cerrito Happy Hour Mixer and Neighborhood page on Facebook that announces all these things are going on already in the neighborhood. So we didn't like come in and start creating these things in our neighborhood. It was already happening. Kind of want to go through some pictures of some of the things that we do within our neighborhood. They're already existing. So the Perrys, in their front area, our street kind of goes around in a curve and kind of meets in the middle where you have connects east and west overlook. In the middle, they have block parties every year where they have bands and water games and food and things like that. And like we're going, this is an amazing neighborhood, completely opposite of any neighborhood we've been a part of before. And these are pictures of Gracie doing face painting and some of our neighbors out there. I get to kind of revisit my youth pastor days where I did water games and yell and scream on a megaphone and get people to throw water balloons at each other. And we get to do this every single year up until this last year and a half or so where we had to stop some of these things uh, that were happening. We also have happy hours. We've had a happy hour at our house since. Um, and then since our house, uh, we, we neglected our house and it kind of, we had to fix that up again. And uh, we've visited lots of different places across Elkham Boulevard and different places in El Cerrito and have met, our, our neighborhood is the most diverse neighborhood of all neighborhoods I've ever been in. I mean, every type of, of diversity, of age, of gender, of uh, sexuality of Christian and non-Christian and things like that. It's been so amazing to meet and to have people love us as we enter this neighborhood, but also love them through things like the happy hour. We're also part of, uh, I guess, familiar with the Boo Parade. I don't even know if they're doing it this year, but they've done it in years past, where they have a parade down Elkhorn Boulevard from Orlando into El Cerrito. And one year we joined with some of our neighbors that had started an organization called Light Up the Love. And it's an organization to spread a global movement of leadership and love, peace, and unity uh, around the world. We're like, okay, we're, we're about that. <laughs> we love loving our neighbors, and we're able to dress up in ridiculous outfits and march down in the boo parade with our neighbors to show that we love them and, uh, and experience the love that they have for us. And then we have uh, an event called Craft, this is one of the things we actually started within our neighborhood. And craft is from, we decided, we go, okay, what Gracie and I, what do we love doing? We love, Gracie loves art and I love beer. So we go, 
okay, instead of having doing art and doing beer by ourselves, let's invite our neighbors, let's invite people from the church, let's invite people from work. We invite them into our home, onto our patio, in our downstairs area, and we enjoy a different theme uh, of beer every single uh, month. We've been doing that for four and a half or five years, so much so that it grew that some of the introverts that we mentioned earlier in the sermon, some of you may be an introvert, got intimidated by all the people that are there and decided not to come. And we noticed this and we go, okay, we'll just do a, another craft. And another, like, instead of just being once a month, we did it twice a month then so we can include other people. Gives me another chance to enjoy new beer, to meet new people, uh, and to do more art. And more often than not, we were trying to do art projects and Gracie was, um, uh, we actually didn't do many projects. <laughs> we're just talking and having conversation and being ridiculous and loving and inviting in neighbors and friends and friends of friends so they can feel comfortable. Uh, here's kind of some pictures of us uh, within craft, uh, some of which are staged because we actually don't take very many pictures of what, when it's actually happening because we're just enjoying our neighbors. Um, but you recognize some of the people in these pictures. Um, we've had glass blowing and painting and uh, just sewing, an amazing amount of things, but also different beers we get to enjoy. And people bring that. And the more people that come, the more food that comes, and it kind of scales into something we can enjoy and love our neighbors while we're enjoying ourselves. This particular passage in Romans kind of encapsulates what we've experienced in our own neighborhood and what we want everyone to experience in such a way. And we've kind of, I've not seen it in this way before when it is in this translation. But Romans 12, 9 through 19 says this in the message. Love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled in a flame. Be alert, servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Like, it gives us, a, our calling is to enjoy God's creation and to love him and to love our neighbors together in community and have people's lives transform by us doing what God created us to do. It, it, he doesn't say, I want you to do these things that are just so weird and out to, the, out to the side. It's love your neighbors. And I know that there's many people, including ourselves, that we want to isolate and we want to get away, especially during this last year and a half. But the calling from God is that we connect and love one another in real and tangible ways. I want to introduce you to, just very briefly, a person named Kristen Schell. This is an excellent book. We've actually gone through it, I believe, with one of our life groups. The book is called Turquoise Table, Finding Community and Connection in Your Own Front Yard. And we've decided 
It's a lot easier to talk to our neighbors if we do something in our front yard rather than going in our backyard or going inside of our house. She says, Romans 12, 13 remains the same. No matter where you live or what stage of life you're in, you might live in a gated community, apartment complex, rural area, city, suburb. Maybe you're single or a grandmother or a mother of eight. Whatever your situation, how can you be present for others? What simple ways can you let people know they matter and create space for people to belong? Uh, Kristen, in her book, suggests that you get a picnic table, put it in your front yard and paint it turquoise. We got halfway there. We bought a picnic table and it's in our front yard. It is not painted turquoise yet. But we decided what we'd do is we would actually build a patio that goes further out into our front yard because we want to enjoy our patio. And we were able to use some of the stimulus funds to pay for some of this stuff, which is, yay, this is a great way to be able to use that money before we spend it on dumb things. We are able to build our deck out. So if you go to that next slide, perfect. Build our deck out and put a pergola over it and put couches on it. There's music and lights and stuff. We basically brought our living room out into the front yard in such a way so it's unavoidable to actually see and talk to our neighbors. We get out there and I bring my laptop out there and sometimes I'm doing work out there. And we get out there and we're having coffee fluff we're whipped coffee stuff on a milk and we're inviting our neighbors in. We've had friends over and like every five seconds, there's people coming by the, the front porch and saying hello. And like, how, how is it possible that you know all these people? Just from walking around at our happy hours and our, our block parties and inviting people in, we get to know people. I remember when we first moved in, I didn't know anybody's names and I was afraid of like, I didn't even know who the neighbor was right next door. As I'm counting through, as we're walking through our neighborhood, I know so many people because of just being out in our neighborhood. And you can do similar things. You don't have to do this exact thing. You might have a different situation than where you live. But think of ideas of where you can get in proximity to your neighbors and to your neighborhood. And this brings us to what, where we've learned some of our, our, our ideas is through a group called the Parish Collective in addition to these other books that we're talking about, it's a group uh, called the Parish Collective that is kind of up and down the, the West Coast in Seattle and Portland and San Diego. And they come together once a year and then in smaller times a year where they share ideas of how to love your neighbor. And they're all over the place denominationally and all over the place in differences. And we wouldn't agree on everything and some of those things we talked about, but we agree on one thing, we love Jesus and we love God, and we love our neighbor. How do we do this in a, a real and tangible way? And we actually have a, a conference that we do each and every year called Cultivate. You'll see if, you, if it's big enough, you'll see Gracie and myself and Kelly up in the right-hand corner. We meet in normal heights, and we share and we worship together. And we figure out, I wanna share stories. Jonathan Brooks comes and shares stories from Chicago. People come from Seattle, and they uh, share their stories. And other people come from all over the United States to share their stories about how to love their neighbor. That excites me, that type of thing, where I can get together with other people and share those things. And we get more and more ideas of how we can do this. And I can think there are areas of my neighborhood, even if we're doing all these things that are neglected, that people have needs that I don't see because I'm not in proximity with them. And I haven't uh, drawn close enough to them. I haven't loved my neighbor well enough. I don't feel shame. I just feel a calling and a desire to love my neighbors more. 
as we kind of, as we wrap up, I wanted to, to bring up, there's a song by a group called The High Women uh, that includes one of our favorite artists, Brandy Carlisle. Um, and it's a song called Crowded Table. And I'll go ahead and admit that this particular picture is not in our neighborhood. This picture is AJ and Leslin's neighborhood. It's a picture of us. I can't remember if it was a friend's giving or something. They have a big long table that they were able to get from this moniker building and use outside of their apartment. Very small apartment. They have this table and they invite friends and family and celebrate together. And I think this is a perfect picture of what I'm talking about, what I enjoy. And I know that a lot of us enjoy. Sometimes we just get too busy to, to enjoy it. She says in that song, if we want a garden, we're gonna have to sow the seed. Plant a little happiness, let the roots run deep. If it's love that we give, then it's love that we reap. If we want a garden, we're gonna have to sow the seed. Yeah, I want a house with a crowded table and a place by the fire for everyone. Let us take on the world while we're young and able and bring us back together when the day is done. And of course, you recognize some of the people We've had a unique opportunity to combine our friends from church and from work and from our neighborhood. And we now have people at Harbor that, and people at work. And there's this crossover. We're all loving each other and loving our neighbors in such a way that they're seeing our faith lived out in tangible ways. It's not just us standing on something and preaching. We're trying to preach through our actions and loving people. And when we have conversations, uh, about faith, and what we do all the time because we've built strong relationships with people. Amazing conversations. And our neighbors are not a project. They're not a group of people that we go, oh, we're going to build a relationship so we can do this thing. No, God has called us to love them, and we're going to live out our faith and love our neighbors. And that, if that means having spiritual conversations, sharing the gospel through word, sharing the gospel through action, that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do well within our neighborhood. And last, I um, wanted to bring up this quote from Erwin Entz. He's a pastor and author, also would recommend you read. He, he wrote a book called The Beautiful Community. It talks about the beautiful community within the Trinity, and then that's supposed to be reflected in the church, and that's supposed to be reflected in our community. He says, people should look at the church and get a glimpse of where the world is heading. Most people, most of our neighbors, look at the church, whether it's a good view of what the church is or a bad view of what the church is, look at the church and they don't want to have anything to do with it. Not because of Jesus, but because sometimes because of how we've acted, how we've acted on social media, how we've acted in life, how we acted in those neighborhoods by neglecting, but God is calling us to take our transformed lives, lives and have God transform our neighborhood so that when people look at the church, the people, not just this building and this place, but the people, they'll look and go, that is what I, that's what I want. That's where I, I want the world to be heading because it's changing. And that's what God is doing through us and through our community. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the ability that we have to, to love you. Uh, you've given us your son. You saved us. 
You set us apart, but you set us apart not to be apart, but to spread that love, to be a mirror, to be your image. Um, we thank you for this opportunity. We ask that you give us in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, tangible ways to, to love our neighbor and to love you uh, in the process. We ask for forgiveness in those times that we've neglected our own neighborhoods and the neighborhoods around us. We ask that you give us the power and the strength uh, to be able to do that in a way that would glorify you. Um, we ask that you help each and every one of us to draw closer to one another here and out in our communities in ways that transforms the city. We bring this to you and we just ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. And before we kind of, we, we start into this time of worship and reflection and response, may think there's, there's lots of things in the bulletin that are very intentionally designed to bring us back into community after a disconnection of a year and a half, safely, in ways that we can feel comfortable with, we can invite each other in. So if it's pumping carving or uh, the brunch or dinners of eight, sign up, get involved, and then try to figure out how you can do those things in the neighborhoods. And the dinners for eight, we're sending you into neighborhoods on purpose because we're, we have people all over the place in different neighborhoods. So you haven't had a chance, that includes the host, the people that are hosting, go ahead and sign up. There's lots of spaces available. There's two more on the boat if you guys want to sign up for that. Um, and I think it's going to be cool because I got to go in and experience what people are doing in the neighborhood. And those hosts that are here don't think, oh, no, I have to go quickly make up stuff that I'm doing in my neighborhood or I have to do it in a certain way. Just share, this is how I'm loving my neighbors. And share with one another, you know what? I'm not loving my neighbors as well enough as I would like. This is how we can do it. And share those things and grow closer to one another as you're doing that. Um, have lots of opportunities to connect. Let's worship together uh, and respond to God's call in our lives.